I'm sorry, would you mind holding for a moment? Thanks. I'll make this quick. I'm Agent Apiro, FBI Cybercrime Division. We co-opted one of your floors. I was heading to my station when I see you. And it wasn't an oops, wrong floor kind of drop-in. From where I was, it looked like you were coming from somewhere. Now, this is nothing official, so don't worry, but... I just had to ask, what were you doing on a restricted floor? Making plans. With Agent Thomas. We were trying to decide drinks tomorrow or lunch today. Hello, friend. Faster than you can say, let's shake on it. It's time for another podcast episode of Hello, Friend. This is all about the amazing series, Mr. Robot. Hey, Henry, how are you? Good, good, Margaret. I'm looking forward to talking about this really uh, momentous episode in terms of events. Oh, totally. So this is season two, episode seven of Mr. Robot. That's where we currently are in the story. And Henry and I are here to talk about Handshake, written and directed by Sam Esmael. Henry, what did you think of this episode? Well, a lot happened. And I thought it was interesting to see some of the theories that we had made about in previous podcasts uh, come to light or get some reveal, right? We had been talking about where was Elliot uh, where, what, what's, what's going on with Ray, um, all these different things that we had kind of theorized about in the past. A lot of them get discussed and revealed here. I thought episode seven of season two, amazing. Wow. Interesting turn of events. Some of the things that we have already touched on and a lot of the fan base have, have certainly predicted. I definitely think some of the breakout characters from Joey Badass, Craig Robinson, Grace Gummer, not to mention... All the others, I mean, the actors in the series, I think, are so top-notch. It's amazing to see how different metaphors were used, like chess and the whole idea of a handshake, which is a term from the world of computers. Big surprise. Yeah, um, and the way that the episode starts off, again, is a little bit like prior episodes where we can't really believe what's going on. And I wonder at what point this just becomes a thing or if it's a, a device that the writers and producers will move away from. I thought that a lot more in this episode than I have in other times because there were various instances where Elliot was like, hey, I'm back again. I know I told you this, but I really meant that. There were times that Elliot's dad, Mr. Robot, was saying things to Elliot, like, for example, whether Tyrell was shot or shot dead and all that. Yeah, and I'm glad that the writing acknowledged the fact that we were being messed with as the audience or the recipient of Elliot's narrative. Because that's how I, I felt a little bit. Like, there was a part of me while I was watching it that felt a little bit messed with, especially with the big reveal at the end, where I felt like, okay, like, how many more things are going to just get shifted around in the I sense of, like, oh, that was just me making my imaginary world. Uh, but then he acknowledges that and says, okay, we have a handshake deal. Like, uh, we're not going to do this anymore. At least that's how I interpreted it. Yes. And when we get towards the end, I'll give you some of my crackpot theories I have about what that might mean. But before we do that and we get into the rest of the story, I should mention that for those of you who are interested in the world of computer technology, 
a handshake is known as the following. And I just grabbed this definition from Webopedia. They're a great resource for looking up computer terms. It's basically a process by which two devices initiate communications. Handshaking begins when one device sends a message to another device indicating that it wants to establish a communication channel, like a ping, like you ping another device. And that was used throughout metaphorically. You hear a handshake in the, you know, the opening music to this podcast, the modem dial tone, as it rings up and connects to another modem. That handshake, that AOL kind of ubiquitous uh, modem tone or that evil corp tone that we heard before, uh, that's what it is. Yeah, and the intro music for this podcast, I know if you've listened to Hello Friend before, you already know this, but I should mention that our very own Henry composed the intro musical sequence for our Mr. Robot podcast. And if anybody has suggestions for different tones or computer sounds or game sounds you think we should integrate, shoot us an email or write us on our Facebook page and Henry will take a look at it and see if he wants to add that in there. So thanks, Henry. Yeah, I'm looking forward to any user suggestions and happy to try to integrate that into our opening intro. So we began this particular episode with Joanna. First, she starts off in the flashback with Tyrell, where we see Scott and Sharon Knowles. And then she gets blood or paint put on her in real life by some um, upset person calling her a capitalist pig. What's going on with Joanna's character and, and where do you think she's going yeah, it's it's interesting because I wonder why we care as an audience. I mean, I understand that she was part of the narrative in the sense that we it kept the mystery or suspense about what happened to Terrell front and center in front of the audience as we explored her adapting to life without Terrell. But I'm starting to wonder like what the connection is between her and the other characters at this point. I'm very much starting to wonder that as well. We'll get to it a little bit later, but... I was wondering that, especially in terms of her relationship with that guy, Derek. I mean, she says all the right things to him. I love you. But she's very meticulous about not being seen with him in public. And did you catch later on that she said she met him at an evil corp party? Yeah, I did catch that. And I was trying to think, was he somehow in the background or in that one scene where she's with, uh, she's with uh, the CTO and her late husband? Uh, in the flashback. I was thinking, did I see him in that scene? Do you think that you've seen him before? I am going to go back in and double check, but I wonder if he's playing some role uh, unbeknownst to him in terms of how this is all going to be unfolding. And again, I think it speaks to Joanna is some kind of operative or operator. Yeah. And I just thought about uh, a possible way in which she figures into the main story. As we learned that Terrell might have been killed or probably was killed by Elliot, she could be the plot device by which a murder investigation against Elliot is pursued, either by uh, police or by whatever shadowy organization she represents. She could be that narrative device. What do you think? I think there's a lot to that. And it's, it's interesting to consider whose side she is on, if anyone's side. Is she working with White Rose? Is she more aligned with Evil Corp? Are they all on the same side? It's very confusing to me. We do see Elliot later on. He's totally beaten up. And this is where he says, hey, I acknowledge you now, viewer. I'm not going to go away. It's all good. And this is where, you know, here and a little bit later on that we find out that Mr. Robot quote-unquote shot 
Tyrell. Do you think that means he's dead or do you think Tyrell is alive? I think Tyrell is dead. Um, and yeah, I think um, Elliot, Mr. Robot, shot him. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how that particular action by Elliot is used against him. Because one of the things that we're starting to realize as an audience is that blackmail is an often used plot device in the Mr. Robot universe. And murder, you know, there's no statute of limitations on murder. That will put you in the chair. Uh, that can be a great uh, plot device in the future. Okay, that's a very interesting perspective. And so I am going to say, I don't think he's dead. And I think that uh, we will find Tyrell was maybe wounded, but maybe that's just wishful thinking. Well, I'm glad that you have a different belief. That will make it interesting uh, to see actually how it shakes out. Totally. And what do you think about the way Dominique and Angela interact and the way Dominique is so aggressive, but in this really sort of friendly way. I love her character. She's kind of like the guy who's just a little bit abrasive or the person, you know, <laughs> that, that, that like even when they make you laugh, they're kind of digging at you and they're like a catfish, right? They're like a social catfish. They just constantly just kind of dig at you a little bit because they just can't let things be. And watching her interact with Angela, um, I'm starting to not feel great about the way the Angela character is being uh, used or written because just, there's just parts of the, the character of the performance that just kind of uh, rub me the wrong way. What, what are some of the things you were picking up on? Well, so, you know, like one, I don't understand if the physical appearance change of Angela's character is supposed to be intentional or if it's something that is driven by the actress, Portia Doubleday, because she, she's noticeably thinner. Right, she looks. She 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 went from looking to me like a somewhat like you know a normal uh, you know average not average but you know like a normal person to someone who looks a little bit austere. Like you can see like her hair is drawn back, her cheekbones seem to be very emphasized. She seems like she's. Uh, her physical appearance has changed. Well, and I also want to say, if you are going to be wearing eyelash extensions like that, as somebody who has had them a few times, if they're not semi-permanent ones, and that means they last for three months, that is a lot of uptake and maintenance to do. That's like Kylie Jenner level primping before going to the office every day. I mean, it's true. She's she's clearly gone in a stylistic direction according to what the show runner wants. And she is a lot thinner than last season. I, I've noticed that too. And I agree. Her character is so unsympathetic. I know they're eventually going to use it to turn her around into some kind of protagonist, but I don't know if it'll work at that point. Yeah, she's just, I don't understand. The character is just, to me, I, there's a difference between mystery and a poorly written character. And she's walking that fine line with me between being this kind of character that they morph into whatever they need to ha have the plot move forward versus a character that they've thought through and is evolving in a certain way. Yeah, and... Even in the story itself, Dom, the character, Dom DePero, said to Angela, whatever this is, this is not you. And Yeah. <laughs> so it, it begs the question. I think the fundamental question for all of the viewers is, is she actually this person? Or is she somehow part of some bigger plot, either by herself or by some other people, to infiltrate Evil Corp? 
She is a major patsy in all of this. And frankly, I'm starting to think Elliot is too. More and more as we go along, he's being used. And I think Derek is being used. To that point, we, we saw Joanna say to Derek, here's how much I love you. Here's a divorce summons from my presumably dead husband. We do learn that the taxi and limousine service in New York City is starting to accept e-coins. So we're starting to see that infiltration of the e-coin currency. To me, e-coin being introduced into the show and into the overall plot is kind of setting it up for a hack by F Society. At some point, there will be an F Society versus e-coin showdown. It's just going to be interesting to see how that's framed. <laughs> well, if it's, if it's as easy as hacking the DNC, it should be a real field day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's interesting that e-coin is being introduced as a separate thing than Bitcoin, um, because the, the show's writers have no problem in taking current technology and using it as a plot device. So to me, that the fact that they've created this thing called e-coin, they're setting it up for some sort of use that would otherwise you know, be difficult to do without getting sued for tarnishing a trademark or somehow uh, inciting some sort of public backlash, maybe. No, that's a really good point. And, and to that point, something that you just made me uh, think of is at this point, we really, in the case of Bitcoin, we really don't know who is behind Bitcoin. Isn't that still the case? People are always trying to guess who created Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, still a, a source of controversy. And this show really kind of made me think about the market for Bitcoin. Cause you know, the, the, the kind of, public persona that a lot of people are trying to push forward is that Bitcoin is only used by shadowy individuals for nefarious purposes, where as you and I know that there are people who have Bitcoin and use Bitcoin for perfectly leg legitimate use all around the world. I myself would definitely accept Bitcoin. It's just another way to move and store currencies, not without its dangers, but is it any more dangerous than the Euro, for example? But then it makes me think about, you know, the fact that there actually is a legitimate nefarious shadowy market, right? The shadow market is estimated, like economists try to figure out the size of the shadow economy. And people, you know, sometimes say that the shadow economy equals or surpasses the legitimate economy in terms of economic activity. And there's always been this tension between freedom and movement of capital versus uh, enforcement of regulation and oversight. And over the past 30 years, we've seen a, a steady erosion of banking secrecy in the war against drugs, the war against terror. And now it's going to move into the, the online world. And the criminal uh, sector has embraced the online world a lot. And Bitcoin does help legitimate, or not legitimate, but it does help their activities. To your point, I was incredibly surprised once the whole prison theme was fully revealed in this episode, although it was very much hinted at, as we know, throughout the season, the extent to which prisoners are using Bitcoin as a currency. So you're right. There's something pretty fascinating about that and illustrative of why things like uh, Bitcoin and things like the Silk Road can be used for nefarious means. Yeah, and I think as you know, Bitcoin continues to evolve and get accepted, we can actually see Bitcoin as the interface between the shadow economy and the real world economy 
Um, and actually could be interesting way to gauge the size of the shadow economy. Totally. And even after watching this, another thing to add on to what you're saying that got me wondering was, I never really thought too much about who owns Bitcoin right now. I thought it's some really smart person, um, some smart guy from some place like New Zealand. I mean, there have been lots of theories about who that is, but who's to say it's not some... Uh, major stakeholders who work at, you know, Tencent or General Electric or what have you. It, who knows where it comes from? I mean, I, maybe I'm spinning out into tinfoil hatland, but... Hey, it could be the ultimate guerrilla campaign, right? <laughs> like people talk about how corporations in the past have tried to introduce things at, as from, you know, the underground, quote unquote, and market it that way so that people would think it's cool and accept it. So who's to say that this could not be the same thing? Yeah, and so we definitely catch up on Ray and, and his crony who are basically forcing Elliot to get back on that computer and, and fix their issue. And Elliot does some snazzy moves there and says everything's fixed. And then all of a sudden, the traffic to their Silk Road type site is basically doubling and all of their Bitcoin take is doubling and that they don't see that that's suspicious right away, or at least the one guy doesn't. I have a theory about Ray, um, but I have a question for you about Ray. Do you think that Ray was another inmate, or do you think that he was some sort of prison guard or supervisor? I think he was a prison counselor or a prison guard. Okay. I have a theory about Ray. If you, mm -hmm. if you want, you can ask me later. Elliot gets to fix the problem, even though Mr. Robot tried to say, hey, once... Once you do this, they're going to be done with you. But Elliot has a plan because he says at one point, when you see a good move, look for a better one, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. And I think, I think the way that Elliot sets up the chess moves with Ray um, is kind of interesting because in a way that's illustrative of how Elliot's mind works. And because we're experiencing this through Elliot, it's kind of the way the writers work with us, the audience, right? Where they set us up for one thing, thinking it's one thing. But in the end, it kind of comes out of the corner and surprises you. But you feel like it should have, you should have seen it coming. And I wanted to geek out and go back and rewind that sequence and to see if they were playing a real chess game. I would bet any amount of money they were. Oh, yeah, I think so. I recognize some of the moves that they were playing uh, with chess. Chess is being played between Ray and Elliot. There's sort of, it's sort of used as a way to let each of them sort of unload their inner thoughts. Yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting way of how men will use an activity to facilitate like a deeper conversation. Because, you know, us guys just can't be honest and open and emotionally honest with each other directly. We got to do it over something, right? Yeah. So they're doing it over chess. And seeing Craig Robbins, and I know I keep going on about it, but I know him from, you know, Pineapple Express, all these great movies. He's in Sausage Party, which I'm going to totally go see because I hear it's really bad, but funny, but maybe objectionable. I don't know. But to see him as such a menacing and yet complex criminal, right? Because it does seem like Ray has regrets for what he and his wife made together. I think that Ray was kind of in a similar situation as Elliot, but to people higher up the food chain, where he was going to get killed if he didn't keep it going. That his wife and he started the site, but that it kind of took on a life of its own, and he didn't actually investigate what was going on. It makes me think that somehow he was caught up in the same thing just 
a little bit higher up the food chain. Yeah, and we definitely see that later on where the other guys in the in the it turns out to be the prison are after Elliot saying we had 800 bitcoins there that we lost and I looked up the value of 800 bitcoins because that doesn't sound like that much does it but but uh I, I'm sure you know this because I know you follow this stuff too that's about four hundred and sixty thousand dollars yeah it's enough to get you shanked over that's for sure Oh, hell yeah. I, I would be pretty upset too. Uh, but there was another point in this part of the story where Elliot uses the handshake metaphor and talking about Mr. Robot. He mentioned it also to Krista where he's like, we're partners now. We, we're fully integrated. We're partners. Do you believe that? And it's kind of like he's saying that for us too, as the audience, like, okay, like, you know, here's the, here's the truth. I'm, I'm you know, Elliot goes to all these self-help groups and circle uh, like, you know, therapy groups. And it makes me think that the way that he's trying to set the record straight and kind of come to this sober kind of point in his life where he's just accepting the honesty of things, like the, the simplicity of things and just being honest with himself. That's kind of what he's doing with us as the audience, right? Yeah. And then later on, when Angela confronted her dad at look, what looked like a New Jersey Best Buy, Again, she came across so cold to her own father, and that wasn't anything like her relationship with him last season. So if you were her dad, would you have taken the settlement or would you have continued fighting? Um, Does he have some sort of illness as well? I don't think he does, but I think he really wants to ensure that there is accountability after the lawsuit is settled. Yeah, that's. I think that to him, the money is secondary to what the money represents, and for him trying to make sure that the corporation can't continue to do what it's done in the past is important because we've seen in real life events how settlements actually end up enabling uh you know enabling a wrongdoer over time like Bill Cosby like he used settlements to keep people uh people's mouth shut so that he can continue to victimize women yeah it's I went through a complex range of emotions when I saw this scene between Angela and her father for one she was extremely cold, as I mentioned. But at first I was thinking, what's wrong with this guy? He should just take the money. He's never going to win and all this stuff. And then he can live to fight another day. But then I thought more about it. I thought more about what you're saying in terms of how these class action lawsuits tend to not really help the original cause. And at this point, if the currency systems of the world are being undermined, what good is that money going to be anyway? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so for him, I guess the point is to make sure it doesn't happen again more than the money. Great writing and a great scene because it just seemed like this innocuous scene. And then I went from one extreme to the other in terms of how I interpreted it, what the right thing would be to do if I were at least Angela's dad. So, And a really hard to like Angela. Um, is being written at this point, right? Like between this scene and the one with Philip Price, it's just like, who, why? What's going on with this character? What's, what's going on in her head? It's so unrealistic from a number of standpoints because she really isn't that good, right? I mean, she's good. If I compare her to, her to Dominique, Dom is so good at what she does. Angela is good, but she's not great. Yeah, I mean, she listens to those self-help mantras and she she gets she her schemes just inevitably tend to kind of go a bit awry. 
Uh, and yet she has these moments of just being this really kind of cold and nasty uh, person. It's just, it's just a confusing character for me at this point. Even some of the dialogue, the actress is forced to say, like what she was saying to Darlene, you guys always thought I was dumber than you. It's a bit forced. Yeah, and the, the idea then is that she's been that great of an actress all this time where she's known who the perpetrators of S society are, but hasn't said anything and hasn't let it slip in her interactions with anyone. Really? Yeah. Well, somebody who I thought had a lot of great lines and dialogue and is one of the strongest additions to the show, besides kind of all of the new actors are awesome additions, in my opinion. The uh, Joey Badass, who plays Leon, he is such a superstar. I think he's an amazing actor. And I finally have some sense about why he spends so much time with Elliot. And no wonder, you know, Joey Badass should have signed up to play this guy, right? Like, what a great role. Like, uh, he gets to spout, uh, talk about Seinfeld and then show up as, like, the hero uh, to save the protagonist? Who who doesn't love this character? I love that. And when I saw that Elliot and Leon were watching another basketball game and we saw the gang come up to Elliot and, and Leon, and I have to admit, as soon as I saw the gang come up to them, I was pretty sure that this was a prison setting because they looked like a prison gang, right? And the way that Leon stuck by Elliot and would not leave his, his side... I was like, Leon, why are you so loyal? But we totally understand later. One thing he said to Elliot is, remember, cuz, you're sitting on the Sword of Damocles. Yeah, and this episode in some ways is about, very much about the Sword of Damocles in terms of leadership and the, the struggle uh, that people have to become leaders and to take on the mantle of leadership. That's what Elliot's been kind of resisting this entire time. And to me, this episode is about him coming to terms with that. Yeah, and the sort of Damocles, not only is it a song from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it is a fable that is told by Cicero that talks about there was um, a tyrant of Syracuse named Dionysius, and he had a, a courtier named Damocles who said, I would love to be on the throne. But when he sat on the throne, he sat under a sword that was hanging by a single horse hair. So it's sort of like... Be careful what you ask for. Yeah, you know, uh, yes. Be careful what you ask for. And, you know, the Game of Thrones also is very much this sort of metaphor. It's like, you know, the the throne is a hard place to be. Yeah, I did like the scene between Angela and Price where Angela spurned Price's request to hang out on his birthday. It was incredibly brave, but that's not how that would have played out at all. She would have been demoted. <laughs> Yeah, and there's always these scenes with Angela where she just does these incredibly cold kind of mean things, like with her ex-boyfriend as well. And, you know, contrast that with those times, like in the meeting, where she just kind of falls on her face. And it's like, it, it's confusing to me as a character. Um, and on the Philip Price note, he gets her back in the end, right? Because one wonders if he had, she had gone out with him, if he would have made the same sort of uh, lack of recommendation on her transfer. I think so. I think he's completely playing her. I think when Angela told her dad, they see my value. I mean, anyone in this day and age who really believes that when they work for a cutthroat organization like that, when where everybody is replaceable, I mean, Scott Knowles is replaceable, 
Terry Colby is replaceable, Price is replaceable. Angela is, in spite of what you she may provide now, is is replaceable. So pretty surprising to hear her carry herself like that. I think Angela is a lot more understandable if I think of her as Napoleon Dynamite. Then that character makes more sense. I just think of her like, I just imagine Napoleon Dynamite in her place saying and doing the same things. And I think, okay, that's how they're writing the character. She's like a Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, that's pretty funny. I can totally see that as well. And the show's been doing a really good job showing Angela put herself in these situations at work where she's clearly unlikable. She, she's a pariah everywhere she goes. It's not just because people think she doesn't deserve the positions she has. Although, honestly, she, she seems capable and competent enough. But they also know her background as an as a almost whistleblower. So she's the enemy. In Korean uh, culture, there's this, in, in classrooms, they have this... Uh, term called guangda for anyone who's kind of not accepted you know they're kind of like the misfit or the outcast of the group like someone who's just a little bit dorky or they, for whatever reason they're not accepted right and it strikes me that angela's character is kind of like this because she obviously wasn't that popular at school if she was hanging out with elliot <laughs> and darlene every halloween like they couldn't have been the most popular kids at school either right so if she's spending every Halloween hanging out with them, and it makes me think that she wasn't this popular at school either. And it's that she's kind of continuing this as she goes through her life, because it doesn't seem like she has that raging kind of social life either. She does not have a raging social life. I mean, you, you have to feel sorry for her on some level. Her boyfriend, Ollie, how many years did she spend with him? I mean, maybe, I guess you learn... You learn something new every day, so I, I don't think it was a total waste, but she seems lost even though she's on such a strict regime that she's opposed, imposed upon herself. Yeah, so maybe we should think of her character like that, like this like loser, outcast, trying to fit in, and the things that she's trying to do to do that, and she just acts incredibly mean sometimes in her quest to fit in. I can totally see that. And I actually know of uh, a few people who are a lot like that. They're so fragile. It was good she told Price no. I mean, I totally support her. And I love the way Angela and Price were framed by that beautiful blue painting. There's a lot of that framing going on. So, I mean, good for her for having the backbone to say, no, I'm not going to be pressured to spend time with you. But it's just the way they have her conducting herself. This podcast is a bit of therapy for me. I think I'm coming to understand who Angela is trying to be as a character. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. And then Elliot, he's just worried because even Ray said, be careful, dude. You know, now you're inheriting my burden of keeping all these people happy. Elliot burns his journal, but no... No fear, USA Network is going to sell a version of Elliot's journal, so we can get that. <laughs> it's interesting that they're doing that because I've noticed that those kind of black style composition books seem to be making a comeback. I started using them, I don't know, about a year ago just to keep notes in, and it's, I've seen them more and more places. So I'm wondering if these like composition style notebooks are going to become a bit of a, a thing. I, it's funny you mention that because I noticed that too uh, last week as well. I went into like a Walgreens and there were like three or four different 
color composition books. So I think they're making a comeback. I still have all of my composition notebooks from when I was in elementary school. Really? Yeah. I had I, I had some of mine from high school, but they got damaged when my garage got flooded. Damn you, landlord. <laughs> um, so we we get to that scene where Elliot is being attacked by that gang. And there was some first ever in that sequence that we might touch on. Leon turns out to be this incredibly savvy super killer. He totally protects Elliot just at a very crucial time. And then says, you're going to get a letter on Tuesday. Do what it says and tell White Rose that I was here for you and that I'm rooting for you, Elliot. What did you think about that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, okay. You know, no wonder he signed up to play that character and turned down other roles. He gets to like be the, the hero of the moment, but also an incredibly vicious scene. I mean, he stabs a guy in his butthole. Like, I can't believe they can show that on television. <laughs> like, the guy got stabbed in the butthole. Like, what? Yeah, no, I thought that too. I, I'm sure that's never been done anywhere on television or maybe in film before that we know of. And I spent some time working at a large cable station um, a couple years ago when I was in New York. And as you know, because I know you've worked a lot in this area, they have those offices, the standards and practices offices. And people spend so much time thinking how they get around the standards and practice office. So I'm, I'm sure Sam Esmail had a great time trying to figure out what he could get away with. And then, and then the other thing I wanted to mention about standards and practice offices, or at least the one I had to deal with, they were some of the coolest, most foul-mouthed people I ever met in my life. Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. Like uh, there was this one um, film in Sundance uh, one year that was like a history of black comedy. And they tell this story about how uh, Eddie Murphy's movie uh, originally got an X rating because of the language. And so there was a meeting with the lawyers where they were basically bartering cuss words to get it down to an R rating, where it was like, okay, I'll give you three MFers here for two, you know, FUs here. And it's like, no, 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 but I need that MFer there for that FU here, because that's what makes the joke work. And it was, and they said it was like the most surreal meeting, because like these lawyers in suits, talking about the number of these curse words that could appear. It's, it's a pretty odd thing. That's pretty funny. And I think it's probably so, somewhat realistic. I know, is it the Walking Dead or was it Breaking Bad? You got one or two F words a year that you'd slip in. The writers would relish those opportunities. What do you think about Leon and his watching over Elliot? And why... Is Elliot so important to Joanna, to White Rose, to Leon? I, I think, you know, my, my interpretation was that's just because they all recognize his singular gift or talent as a hacker. Um, that we've seen with, uh, with uh, Leon, I want to just mention the fact that they cut in Mr. Robot every time Ellie got hit by one of the punches from the gang that attacked him. It was interesting because it was like this the visual cut to show that Mr. Robot was taking the punches for Elliot and stepping in per their handshake deal at the earlier part of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed that too. That was super powerful. And then if this is at the point, you know, where we see Elliot meeting with Krista that we find out for sure that he's not staying with his mom. 
you know, his mom's equals prison, which I love. I love that metaphor. And, and you know, throughout the se- season, they used a red light in different scenes to show there was something not quite right about these setups. Yeah, and I hope that this is the end of the kind of uh, illusion, so to speak, like between the Mr. Robot character being revealed and this season's reveal of where Elliot's been spending his time, that, you know, per the handshake deal, we don't have this going forward. Yeah, well, one thing we did find out that happened when after the FBI was successfully hacked, I love how we just glossed that over, but you noticed, I'm sure, that Mobley and Trenton and Cisco, they saw something when they hacked the FBI, something that was going to happen on July 4th. And I can only imagine the next couple episodes are going to be about July 4th. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't really pick up on that, but now that you mentioned it, I'm connecting the dots. Um, that per that FBI hack, they learned about it in Kerr. So do you think they learned about some sort of false flag operation? I went there myself. I did think that, and I wondered if if it had to do something with White Rose's message to Elliot to do whatever he's told in that letter. Hmm, that's interesting. I was interpreting that letter was going to be some sort of letter per his release, because to me it seems like Elliot's getting out of prison. Um, because when the, the when this uh, Krista visited, she said, "I hope when you get out, you'll you know we'll continue to work together," which made it seem like he was going to be leaving. Yeah, on Reddit, a lot of the fan theories are that Elliot is in jail because he stole that dog. Uh, that's pretty funny. That, that could be. That could be. But it doesn't seem like, I mean, to me, if he was in there for something uh, light, he would be in a, a minimum security prison, which to me was my initial theory given where Elliot was. Like, that's the only way I could kind of explain in my mind how Elliot was somehow outdoors, but in this institutional setting. I was like, maybe in some sort of weird work farm area, like under some sort of institutional thing. But then when they showed him coming out of the building, I, that had theory had to be revised because I thought like, well, maybe it's a compound of buildings and they were just there. So when it was actually revealed that he was in prison, I was like, okay, that, that makes sense. But then he seems to be in a high security prison, which makes me think that he's in there for something relatively serious. Well, maybe we will find out, and maybe we won't. <laughs> or do you think it could be a probation violation? Because it seems like he was working with Krista before because he was mandated to. So if he was originally maybe being put in prison because of some sort of hacking event, right? Because that's what he originally got busted for. Maybe they treat that as like a high-security crime. Maybe he was you know, put on probation, and then somehow he violated his probation. I could totally see that being the case. And I feel so sorry for Elliot. My heart goes out to Krista. She's kind of a tragic figure to me as well. And I just feel so bad for for especially those two characters the most at this point. Yeah. Um, and so what what next? I think to me it's going to be interesting to see how Ecoin uh, figures into the script. Like Dom's character and her sniffing on the trail of uh, uh, Angela. It's, it's going to be interesting because it seems like it's building up towards this tension of who, what gets revealed to whom. I think so too. I think those are some, some great predictions. And I think that my prediction is that Mr. Robot is not, that handshake between Elliot and Mr. Robot, it's not on a s- 
you know, it's not as firm as I think we're being led to believe right now. I think Mr. Robot is keeping things from Elliot. Maybe it's to protect him. Maybe it's because Elliot is some kind of patsy. Maybe Mr. Robot is programmed into Elliot's consciousness by Evil Corp or White Rose. I mean, I'm starting to question, I'm starting to question everything I'm seeing, basically. So it's, I love the show. It's been great. And it's been incredibly inspiring um, because it's really been getting me thinking a lot. Yeah. And one final prediction is I think the Darlene's safety was going to get threatened because the fact that she's Elliot's sister, it seems like that's going to be where the, any leverage will be applied. And so far, she hasn't really come under any sort of physical danger yet. So it will be interesting to see how safe she stays. I could completely see that, especially because of how much she deals with Cisco. I mean, let's remember something happened to his finger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, they know where to find her as long as Cisco's around. So uh, she could be really, really easily abducted and uh, used as leverage against Elliot. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I bet you as well that Angela and Susan Jacobs, the attorney for Evil Corp, they are bound to butt heads, I think, in the next uh, few few episodes. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing how the story is unfolding. Yeah, and uh, really excited to talk about it with you, Margaret. Thanks. Thanks to you. And thanks to all of our listeners who have been subscribing, rating us on iTunes, and just being part of the overall Hello Friend community. And with that in mind, I will talk to you all next week. Bye, Henry. Bye, Margaret. Bye. Have fun on your vacation. All right. Thanks. Sorry, I made that rustle towards the end. That's okay. I started sitting up. I started <laughs> sitting up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Don't bye. sit up. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>